magic is power. I am your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Mr. Jeremy. What's up, my friend? Not much, Pat. Doing good. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm on vacation this week. I'm chilled out. I'm relaxed. I'm casting without pants as usual. I'm enjoying life. So, <laughs> No pants, no party. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, we also have a guest this week, but before we introduce our guest, want to tell you guys about hipstersofthecoast.com. You know, as always, we are brought to you every Friday on Hipsters. Uh, you can check them out for awesome legacy content and more. Jerry, you got any articles going up at Hipsters anytime soon? We haven't talked about them in a minute for you. Yeah, I got one in the works I'm thinking of. It's actually inspired by our guest last week, okay. uh, or actually two weeks ago when Zach was on. Nice. Uh, I want to. I'm brewing up a little Teferi's uh, response deck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean strictly better stifle? <laughs> strictly better stifle. It's not strictly better stifle, Pat. <laughs> Phyrexian dreadnought begs to differ. <laughs> I'm gonna keep calling it strictly better stifle. <laughs> uh, Maybe I'll call that my deck. That'll be my deck title. Thank you. <laughs> my uh, or my article title. I mean. <laughs> And, uh, you know, as always, if you want to support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. Uh, you know, all, what, what's great about Patreon is that people are asking how they could, you know, kind of give back to the show. And Patreon's a great website to do that. You can set your limits as to how much you want to donate a month. You can change how much you donate per episode. Uh, you can, you know, just donate a certain amount you want every month or whatever the case is. It's very flexible. You can cancel any time. There's no commitments. And we have some awesome rewards that are going out. Um, I actually sent out the first round of thank you cards last week. I'll be sending out playmats and more thank you cards this week as well. So uh, keep an eye out for those, all of our people who are our Patreons and uh, our Patreon supporters. Pat, did you, like, get, like, a Hallmark bulk order of, like, (laughs) (laughs) dearest Timothy? That's what I think the Hallmark just auto-starts. Like, and that's printed on all of them. I have a a nice fat stack of of someone glued cards, and then I have a nice uh, Born of the Gods common. That we're sending out uh, as thank you cards. Which is again something Badger. Charging Badger. Charging ba- it's the, Badger. Probably the greatest single green one drop of all time. It's pretty good. <laughs> I like mine. Mine also happened to be green, but uh, my I bought out the internet of gerrymandering. <laughs> 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 They're all mine. All the gerrymanderings belong to Jerry. <laughs> I like it. Well, until they go out to other people, they'll belong to someone else. <laughs> yes. But you've permanently defaced them, so. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when you, like, buy up every bottle of a wine and then you destroy all but one bottle and it becomes super expensive. I tried doing that with box wine. It didn't work out for me. Yeah, not so much. No. no, The Franzia market didn't take a hit. (laughs) No. We got a lot of Franzia, though, so... (laughs) <laughs> swimming in it <laughs> um and uh yeah so yeah so check out patreon we've gone a little off the, off the rails already um this week our guest is our friend mark kubiak uh he is one of our friends he frequents the facebook page a lot he's a vintage magic enthusiast as well so we'll be focusing on vintage this week mark welcome to the cast man oh thank you for having me i just wanted to say i actually got those two cards in the mail today nice <laughs> awesome so so I now have a charging badger and a gerrymandering. 
<laughs> You're gonna need to send the gerrymandering back to me so I can take market. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm like, what is this? Car- what, is, what did Pat send me? Like, See, gerry- gerrymandering so cool because it could be a legal card. It's two and a green for a sorcery. Shuffle all the lands together and then randomly deal them out where each player gets back the same number of lands that they put in. <laughs> like I that could to, be an effect. I had to read that like five times because like randomly deal to each player one land for each land he or she had before. I kept on reading it like that as like, okay, you uh, shuffle them all together, then you have to give back randomly the ones they already had before. <laughs> Nope. Everyone, I play it in my Prime Speaker Zagana EDH deck, and it's hilarious when you play that on, like, turn 12 with four people. <laughs> Just put all the lands in a big pile and then deal them out. That's amazing. That's a- oh. How do you like, do them How do you do you them randomly? Do you de-sleeve them, or you just, like, shuffle them onto the table and then just deal them around? Yeah, you just shuffle it together and just deal them around. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Oh. <laughs> the president of my company would love that card. <laughs> That is totally him. That card. That is totally him. Uh, it's it's so fitting because it has my name in it, and it's about corruption. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Um, all right. So so Mark, tell us a little bit about you. Um, I, you know, people on the Facebook page probably know you. You talk a lot on the Facebook page about vintage and whatnot. Tell us. He a was about... a he was a listener's choice. The listeners demanded That's true. Mark, champion of the champion, the champion of the listeners. I would say, right. <laughs> <laughs> Way more than me or Pat. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, uh, so tell us a little yeah, bit about ahead. yourself. Uh, you know, tell us how you got into Magic and uh, what formats you're into, what decks you play, stuff like that. Okay, well, uh, I'm from Michigan. Uh, born and raised here. I uh, still live here. I've gone from the east side of the state to the west side. I work as a network slash IT engineer at an automation company here in West Michigan. I got back... I mean, I got into Magic sometime around Zendikar-ish for a little bit. Uh, I know I can say the dual deck of Liliana Vess and Garuk was out because I bought one. I still have, and that Liliana is sitting at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got out of it because I, I, I was going back to college. I was already graduated. I was going back. So it was somewhere around... 2011 because I graduated 2010 so late 2010 early 2011 I kind of got out of it then I was at work one day after a year I saw a couple co-workers playing and I started playing with them we got like a large group going together so I was trained by my co-worker Leah uh, <clears throat> really just educated on the rules of actually how to play magic so for formats I'm mostly into today, EDH, because I play that almost daily at work at, during lunch, very, very casually. Uh, Legacy, though I haven't played since Champs. <laughs> uh, and uh, Vintage, of course. Nice. So you play EDH daily at work. Is is your work hiring for those <laughs> those in the area? Uh, they are hiring a little bit. It's kind of a weird situation <laughs> right now because we're being merged. Uh oh! They better not take away your magic lunches with the merger. I know. <laughs> a new boss comes in and just exnays that shit. <laughs> like screw this! I'm out of here. You're taking my magic. You can take my money, but you won't take my magic. Magic yeah. already takes my money. <laughs> there we go. But, no, it's good. I mean, it's very casual at lunch. It's like I don't play counters in my decks. I don't do infinite combos. We kind of just like 
I play a creature, you play a creature. Oh, ten minutes left? I guess we'll try to kill each other now. So we're just, you know, talking, eating, you know, all that kind of stuff, and just relaxing for a little bit. And after, if we play after work or something, that's usually when it gets a little more cutthroat, which isn't that often. <laughs> so EDH is probably my most played, even though it's my least favorite of the three, but it's what my coworkers like to play, so... I feel that's the vintage player's dilemma, where vintage is their favorite format, but it's the format they get to play the least of, so instead they're like, well, I guess I'll just do EDH in the meantime. Yeah, uh, I do get to play vintage uh, on average once a month in paper. There's currently in Michigan two tournaments, that one on my side of the state and one on the east side. One's like somewhere around, it's in Battle Creek. And the other one's in Livonia. They have monthly 100% proxy tournaments. I haven't gone to the Battle Creek one that often because they just started up. Uh, I know the one in Livonia has been going at least since I started playing in paper. Nice. Yeah, so it's and once a month. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. What, what, oh, no. What sort of, uh, so what sort of turnout do uh, these stores get, would you say? Uh Low end, probably around 14 people. High end, I've seen in the high 20s. Hey, that's that's better than some places get for legacy turnout. That's pretty good for, I would say that's great for vintage. That's better than the turnout in my local hometown's legacy. That's awesome. They have legacy, I think, every other week at my local game store. I haven't been in, like, over a year. And that's really bad to say, because I live less than a mile from that store. <laughs> <laughs> By it's like 0.6 miles. I checked. <laughs> it's literally walking distance. <laughs> but, but they, I think last time I when I was stopping there, check for cards. They had like six people playing. Yeah, but awesome. it's not proxy. So now, so you play? I mean, you play paper vintage. Like, do you own all your decks? Do you do you proxy them up? How does that work for you? Uh, a mixture of both. I used to do uh pure real cards when I first started because I was just playing my painter deck at the time. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to, after champs, I decided I wanted to try out various decks. So every tournament that I've gone to since then, save for the sanctioned event, I've tried a different deck. So I now have like a collection of like eight proxy vintage decks, which is really nice from the standpoint like I really don't feel like I'm like, I just want to play this deck. Now I don't have to resleeve it. It just sits there. It's just proxy. It's just a basic land with a piece of paper in front of it that I print it off with the card and easy to test, you know, not spending too much money and uh, taking my Lotus in and out constantly because I'm a little paranoid about taking my Lotus to stores, <laughs> even though I trust him. <laughs> Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. Like owning a piece of power, you just feel like you have uh, like the Ark of the Covenant in your deck box. <laughs> oh yeah, no, because when I was at Champs last year, I would not leave my deck box out of my sight. It didn't matter if I was going to a restaurant, I was walking around town. That thing was on my hand. Yeah. I'm not leaving it in my room. I just there's you know obviously stories unfortunate the very unfortunate events when people get their stuff stolen. But so it's better safe than sorry. 
Yeah, I'd it's agree true. With that. <laughs> I mean, I've I've seen at events, you know, I, I go into the bathroom and there's a guy standing at the urinal, you know, holding his deck box in one hand, and, <laughs> you know, make, not making a mess with the other hand. He's just like, yeah, don't let that out of your sight. <laughs> well, okay, at that point, I usually have someone I trust. <laughs> I'll let them hold on to my deck. There are some people I legitimately trust with my deck because I know them well enough. Like when I went to Champs, I went with a buddy. He's never played Vintage, ever. He plays EDH It, so he doesn't know a thing about Legacy or Vintage. I'm like, hey, you want to go Vintage Champs? He's like, sure. (laughs) So here's Eldrazi. Have fun. (laughs) Uh, And I'm like, here, can you just hold this while I go use a restroom or something? He had a blast, even though he did terrible, but not that I did great either. But <laughs> and you just handed him, you know, like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You're just so, handing off like like not even used cars at that point, just like new cars. <laughs> <laughs> so you own uh, a bunch of the Power Nine, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, most of it. I used to own all but Time Twister, and I had one workshop at one point. Mm-hmm. But when I got engaged and I wanted to pay off. Uh, some get some car repairs and things like that because my car was broken down mm-hmm. and so at the time I just wasn't doing all that well financially so I sold my workshop and four of my boxes which I've been able to reacquire Pearl I kept Sapphire, Time Walk, Recall and Lotus because mm-hmm. those are the most expensive pieces mm-hmm. anyways mm-hmm. Sapphire and uh, Lotus especially yeah Lotus was like the one I would not sell unless I like my basement was flooded yeah, type that's thing. Like, like that's like the last thing on your collection, basically. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like the Wizard of Oz tornado came through, <laughs> and so, <laughs> ATM needs a new spot. <laughs> so now I have a, I have another question for you since we're kind of talking about finance right now. So, <clears throat> uh, getting into Legacy, like I know you've listened to the cast for a while. So getting into Legacy for me was trading a bunch of my old standard stuff, trading some of my um, just sort of like my collection from being a kid into into Legacy staples, right? Into Legacy cards, and then I've had to pay cash for for cards after that. But for the most part, I got to Legacy like on the on the cheap via Puka Trade and some other things. So when you got into vintage, like you started off in Zendikar, you said which. Which so I assume like you weren't picking these cards up on the cheap, you know, like in ninety three, ninety four. So how did you no. how did you go about acquiring these cards? Did you just like bite the bullet and buy a bunch at the same time, or were you trying to trade parts of your collection in these cards? How did that work for you? Okay, uh, yeah, I started first thing I got was actually my first piece of power is uh, Mox Jet. I mm-hmm. paid five hundred something for it at the time. It was sitting at a local game store, and I'm like, oh. I'll never need this or use this. I'm like, I want to say I owned a piece of power. Yeah. And he had it listed for 700 something dollars. I brought my coworker who, same one that, uh, Leah, she trained me in, you know, magic because she's much better at uh, evaluating cards and their worth at the time than I, I mean, I'm a lot better at that now. I mean, I was still kind of a newbie at the time. And, you know, so she's like, no, this isn't really worth 700 in the condition. Ask them if they'll take 200 off. And they did. The guy called the owner. He said, yeah. Basically, he's like, please move that out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can, that's actually, the other catch-22 of having power, right? Is that, like, it doesn't move nearly as fast as... I mean, even dual lands don't fly off the shelves for, for a store. So I can imagine something that's two, three, four uh, times the price of duels is even more yeah. difficult to find a home for. Yeah. And at the time, and I think they still do this, what they did was they gave you, like, a three-month layaway. Mm-hmm. And for only like ten dollars, and if you're oh, spending five hundred dollars, cool. 
you know, 500, I think it was 550. If you're spending that kind of money, what's $10 at that point? Exactly, yeah. And it gave me three months to pay it off. And if you didn't pay it off, you got all your money back except for the $10. Oh. And I paid it off within like a month or two. And at the time, I lived with my buddy. So I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have... Uh, I had no one to like, answer to. <laughs> no one to answer. No, no kids, no nothing, and my rent was less than three hundred dollars a month. Oh my god! <laughs> I I can't even imagine less than three hundred dollars a month for rent, unless I'm living I in get, like a box. Oh my! I literally right before here, I came from signing a lease on a new place, and <laughs> if I could pay three hundred dollars for rent, I would also be picking up power. <laughs> this is his house, so this wasn't like a pigsty or anything. This is his home. He's yeah. just like, he's my best friend. Like, I'm one of his groomsmen in one of the, his wedding this summer. Because we lived together for about five years. Mm-hmm. After that point, I recommend don't live with friends anymore. It's it's honestly very straining on friendships. But <laughs> that was my first piece. Then, in some maybe detriment, I found out about PayPal credit. <laughs> <laughs> and... They give you six months to pay it off, no interest. But, if, of course, the catch is if you don't pay it off in that six months, you get all that interest accrues. Right. And you get hit by it. Oh, and, so, like, the, the interest that would you would have been charged? Yes. Like, oh, that's sneaky. Oh, fuck you, PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, that's dirty. That's why you need Venmo. Yeah. yeah. Go Venmo. <laughs> so I still have a little bit of PayPal credit left, like $300 down. But I was at a point where I had, like, this was part of my, my snafu was I had about $4,000 I owed at one point. I was able to get it paid off, you know, not too bad. The Lotus came from, I was playing Modern at the time. I had a Jun deck fully finished. Uh, and at the time... I really wasn't enjoying the Jun deck that much. I mean, I liked it, but I, it just didn't feel the right one for me. And this was during uh, Eldrazi Winter. I, I went to ch- uh, my first GP. I played Tron during Eldrazi Winter. Oh. Not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I was adamant. I'm like, I'm going to play this deck. I don't care. I went 4-4, four and four, so I was happy. So, And I was just talking to some people. I'm like, okay, and... I found out there's a guy who was I was talking to him. I think it, no, I think I had a recall at that point, and he's like, "You would you be interested in my Lotus?" I'm like, "Really can't justify spending three grand or whatever." It's not obviously it's a beat to hell one. It's signed by three people: uh, the artist Christopher Rush, and the two I can't explain why they had it signed by these people: Randy Bueller and Bob Mahar. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't know. I understand Chris Rush. I mean, yeah, Chris Rush is, is obvious. I mean, at least it's not like some random kid just like signed his Lotus so he would know which one was his. <laughs> at least it's like somewhat of a uh, I magic rank, I rank Randy Bueller right around random kid. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a big fan of Randy Bueller. <laughs> and but you know what? It's a Lotus. And what I ended up doing was trading that deck and. Basically, six hundred, most of that deck, and six hundred dollars in cash, and a few some other cards, and some other cards to get it. And obviously, the trade wasn't in my favor. I I know that. I mean, that's just price of trading. I mean, 
Yeah, whenever whenever you're trading for reserve list staples, uh, it's never really in your favor. When, just because you're on, you're basically you you are securing the risk in risk in the reserve list, mm-hmm. and you're basically trading out. If you're trading like a modern deck, you know, I bet that modern deck is de- like all those pieces have taken way hits in price since the various lines. Oh. Well, yeah, because I had four Tarmogoyfs in there. I mean, they're modern master ones and whatnot. I had Liliana's. Well, one of them, luckily, I was able to sell because I had a foil Liliana. I mean, at that same, uh, I can't remember, was it, it was before recording that when I mentioned that uh, card shop in Kentucky. I bought, I remember spoiling myself, I bought a 40, not like $40 foil Liliana of the Veil, and I thought I was spending too much money. <laughs> I sold it to a, a guy for straight, uh, straight up cash, $200. I was like, okay. Seems good. <laughs> That's a that's a good profit margin. Unfortunately, most of my trades don't go that way, but <laughs> it's it's like so the one piece of power I've ever owned in my life was senior year of high school. Uh, the local shop got in a time lock for two hundred dollars, and much like you, Mark, I decided you know what I just want to own a piece of power. I want to say that I've owned a piece of power, <laughs> so I bought the time lock, <laughs> held on to it. Sophomore year of college rolls around two years later, and I'm like, oh, I have to buy all these books for classes. I wonder how much this time walk is. I'm like, oh, time walk's up to $400. That's a great profit. I'll sell it and buy some books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and now you're talking over a thousand. Yeah, like right now the estimate is (laughs) $1,350 on MTG Goldfish, so good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's che- you get it a lot cheaper than that, but yeah, it just depends on condition, obviously, and where you buy it from. If you buy yeah. it from Star City, you, you'll pay a premium, but yeah, but, but yeah, it's just the rule of thumb is just don't don't sell it unless you need to. Yep, and some I of them I traded other cards for, like my ruby came. Sorry, it came from Card Kingdom, orig- my first ruby. Mm-hmm. That's probably my plan to get for my next piece. Yeah, you like Card Kingdom for buying your power. Uh, I like Card Kingdom in general. Uh, I've been very impressed with them from a customer service standpoint, and uh, their buy list I find to be pretty good. I mean, their prices are a little higher than some of the other stores, but in general I've been very happy with them for the most part. I haven't had any issues with them. All right, so let's say I was interested in playing like in vintage, right? Like, what do you, what is the entry point for a vintage player? Someone who like has played Legacy or plays modern wants to get into vintage. Where do they dip their toe in first? Uh, I'd say the first deck that I would actually recommend to most people is uh, Colorless Eldrazi because mm-hmm. it's it has no power in it, and that's by design actually. It was. De- um, developed by a guy named Jaco, so it's been like kind of has a sub another name of Jaco Drazi. It's basically very similar to the color of Eldrazi in Legacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have four chalices because chalice is restricted in Vintage. Mm-hmm. So it has one. It has like four wasteland strip mine, like two or three ghost quarters. Obviously, the same like you know lands generally i mean there's purposely was built that way that's a good one for our first time i mean if you're talking if you're talking sanctioned if you have to own it if you're looking for power you want to do power the cheapest one even though it's not technical power would be dredge Mm -hmm. with the bazaars of baghdad's i mean that's they're what 
I like six hundred dollars or something yeah, like that. Right around yeah. That, I, uh, I don't own any of those. I'm not. I tried. I can talk about that later. But <laughs> my experience with uh, Dredge. You think Pat's punted a lot. You ain't seen nothing. <laughs> oh, I, I missed more triggers than I remembered, I felt. Yeah, Dredge, Dredge is a tough... T- I, I think Dredge gets a lot of shit. Like, I think if playing it online is a lot easier than playing it in paper. But playing in paper, like, there are a lot of triggers to remember. At least in Legacy Dredge, I'm sure Vintage is, is of similar difficulty. And oh. uh, there's a lot to keep track of there, for sure. It has a lot of the same creatures depending on the build. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have your Golgari Grave Trolls, you know, your uh, Ark Amoebas, or how you pronounce it, Prize Amalgams. I don't know if Legacy plays those. Yeah, yeah, they, play uh, yeah, they do. Your Icarods, your Bridge from Belows, depending on your builds. I mean, but the, the main difference getting onto that, there's only the dredge engine to get everything going is Bizarre Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Basically, my experience. Basically, you mull to one. You look for your bazaar. If you don't have it, that's why you play four serum powders in your deck, like mm-hmm. all vintage it, dredge decks. Mm-hmm. I mean, because all it takes is a single bazaar activation, and you can fill half your graveyard. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and you get like basically two dredges on each turn because if you do it on your upkeep, you. The bazaar, or actually, what you draw two cards. So actually, you can dredge, dredge. Then your actual draw step, you could dredge theoretically a third time, depending on <laughs> situation. That then, then your turn starts. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the deck, the deck just goes off. Yes, uh, generally, dredge wins game one <laughs> in vintage. And then it's, mad. Then it's just figure. a matter of uh, winning uh, games two and three. Yeah, uh, game two. It seems a lot of times uh, that's when it gets a lot more tougher because it's not on the play, mm-hmm. and they have brought in their hate. A lot of times, vintage, you put six to seven pieces of hate against dredge in your sideboard yeah. because of that. Bring in, like ley lines, cages. What else would we bring uh, in? Like rest in peace. Uh, rest in depending on your deck. There's yeah, uh, sure. uh, Tormont's crypts, mm-hmm. uh, ley line of the void. Uh, yeah, rest in peace. Uh, now he's spellbomb. Okay, yeah, yeah. Spell. Yep. Uh, there's uh, what's Graf- that one? Graf Digger's Cage. Oh, Graf Digger's Cage. That's not the best piece of hate, but is hate. Uh, I'm trying to think of the one. It's the card, Ravenous Trap. That okay. that one sees play occasionally too. Uh, I think I veered off your original question a little bit, but no, but so but similar pieces of hate from from Legacy and Vintage yeah. for the graveyard. I mean that's a that's another decent deck depending. I mean if you're a dredge player, yes. But if you get back to that question, it really if you're not talking monetary wise, it really yeah, let's, is the, let's say it's like a pure as many props as you want, uh, you know, local game shop tournament. Uh, then my recommendation is depends on what type of deck you like, yeah. like. If I looked at Pat, knowing he likes to play Blue-Red Delver, I would recommend... Right now, there's a Blue-Red Delver deck in Vintage. Mm-hmm. It's not the same thing. It plays Harsh Mentors, Delver, and a list I was just looking at earlier also plays Eidolon. Okay. It's, it has three Lightning Bolts, but doesn't have all the other burn spells. Mm-hmm. It's really built around Harsh Mentor, Eidolon, uh, deck fading, that kind of thing. 
I actually like that. That sounds really cool. Harsh Mentor yeah. seems like it would have a pretty good spot <laughs> in Legacy. I mean, sorry, and, in Vintage, rather. In Vintage, yeah, just all the all the artifacts running around with activated abilities. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the problem with Harsh Mentor and Vintage, and why it hasn't seen as much play as I, I initially thought it might, is it dies to Walking Ballista pretty sure. easily. And Walking mm-hmm. Ballista is incredibly powerful in Vintage mm-hmm. because of the Shops deck. Yeah, it's I a, it's a four of in Shops. That's why uh, things like Young Pyromancer have gotten a lot weaker because of Walking Ballista and Delver and all these one toughness creatures because of cards like that. Not to say they're not playable or they're not decent. But just it's kind of like the fact of like going from a B plus to a B minus type grade kind of thing. Yeah, I I think if I were to ever play vintage, I would just play whatever the best Dak Faden deck is because Dak Faden seems super overpowered in vintage. <laughs> uh, has also the same problem right now. Uh, right with because with Ballista. of Walking Ballista because Dak Faden was incredibly powerful against shops before. It's still powerful. Don't get me wrong. I mean, taking, their, say, their one of Lodestone Golem or something to that effect, that can be pretty good. Um, but for you, Jerry, my first inclination for you, knowing you as a sneak-and-show player, it would be Oath. <laughs> yeah, I have seen Oath. I watched uh, Frankie Richard play Oath at Eternal Weekend a couple years ago, and that deck just looks like so much fun. <laughs> it, um, I played, the one time I played Oath, because... Uh, I played a, a build that was designed by a guy named uh, Thomas Dixon. It played uh, Sun Titan, but it didn't do the... I don't, I'm assuming you guys maybe are familiar with the Sun titan uh, Sihili oath combo. I mean, Sihili combo. Uh, run by just kind of like Oath in general for our listeners. Cause I don't oh, know, sure. I don't know how many people might actually know the archetypes. Okay, so uh, Oath of Druids. Uh, I'm just going to read the cards. Easy. Uh, the deck is built around this card and combos extremely well with Forbidden Orchard because you, you give them a spirit token because you want them to have more creatures than you. Yeah, Forbidden Orchard's the uh, <clears throat> rainbow land. It can tap for any color mana, but you give your opponent a 1-1 spirit token. Yep, completely great because Oath of Druid says, during each player's upkeep, if that player controls fewer creatures than target opponent... The player may reveal cards from his or her library until he or she reveals a creature card. The player the player puts that creature into play and all other revealed cards into his or her graveyard. So, so you so just you, stack your library full of fatties and nothing but. Usually you have like two or three creatures. You have <laughs> Let me guess. Grizzlebrand. Oh, Evercool? Sometimes, yes. Grizzlebrand uh, was my next guess. Yes, Grizzlebrand. <laughs> That's your more, what I would have considered the more standard ones. Mm-hmm. There was a build, I think it was, and I could be wrong on this, I think it might have been designed by Matthew Murray, and the Vintage Community can uh, correct me on that one. It was a Sihili, uh Oath deck. Uh, basically, you know the, do you know the combo with Sihili and uh, Sun... Uh, Sun Titan. Well, Sahili blinks a creature, right? Isn't that what it does? It creates a copy oh, of right. sure. Now, if you have, like, two Sahilis, like one in your graveyard, or say both in your graveyard, and you oath into Sun Titan. Sun Titan comes out, you bring back one Sahili. You create a copy, that copy gains haste. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then 
that copy brings back the other Sahili, then you bend the other, you put the other Sahili in the graveyard, you make a copy, and then you infinite combo with a infinite combo uh, Sun Titans. Mm-hmm. Because the legend rule kills the first Sahili. Yes. Uh, Planeswalker or maybe legendary rule. Oh, well, yeah. And, Colloquially, the legendary rule. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. But, no, it's uh, a, so you make infinite Sun Titans and crack face. Yeah. And the version I played did not play Sahili. It was more of like a control version. I tried out. Because I've been, and when I say I'm trying new decks, I didn't always try like the typical builds, which would probably have been the smarter thing to do. Because this was not an easy one. Because it did things like it would bring back uh, Strip Mines, Pernacious Deeds, uh, Trinisphere, all of those types of cards. And the other big mistake, I think it was on two or three hours of sleep when I played a deck I've never tried before. Mm-hmm. A vintage deck that didn't end well. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to. I remember I balanced. I'm like, and I, balance, that's a card. That's a it's a restricted card in vintage where you you have to have equilibrium of lands, cards in hands, and creatures. Whoever has more of any of those discards sacrifices. And for some reason in my sleep deprived state, I thought that included artifacts. <laughs> I think they basically sacked their one one creature token there from the Forbidden Orchard. I think I discarded some cards and sacked a land or two. <laughs> That's it. Good. I hit myself more than them. <laughs> Good. Um, also, going going back uh, to the Oath of Druids, it doesn't. Oath of Druids also put the cards into your graveyard instead of the bottom of your library. Yes, that also has come into a combo with a uh, Oriac Selvager. Oh, you, uh, little little Bomberman action. You put like yes, Pyros uh, uh, a spell bomb in there. Mm-hmm. Pirate spell bomb and Black Lotus. Oh, even yes. better than LED in uh in Legacy. In Legacy, yeah. the combos Oriac Salvagers, Lion's Eye Diamond, and Pirate spell bomb to do infinite damage. But Lotus Lotus <laughs> Lotus is even better. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just a wee bit. Uh, yeah, and that one was uh that was actually that version won champs in 2015 by Brian Kelly, if I recall correctly. The it had like uh Dramoka Dramoka uh Dramoka, the the dragon. Mm-hmm. The one that uh, the players can't play Lord. spells. Yeah, yeah, Dragon Lord Dramoka, thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh Oriac Selvager and there might have been an I think an, maybe Gristlebrand or something. That was like his three creatures. Because the, the nice thing about what Oriac Selvager did was if someone like got one, it's a castable creature. Mm-hmm. So if they uh uh, Graft Digger's Cage. The problem with Graft Digger's Cage doesn't force you to. So when you reveal that creature, it just stays on top of your library. Then you can draw the card, and then you bin oh, everything else. That's a really interesting interaction. So you reveal cards until you reveal a creature. Those cards go to your graveyard, and then the creature just stays on top of your library. Yeah, because creatures can't enter the battlefield from graveyards or libraries, and it says the player that. Uh, and you may reveal cards from his or her library until he or she reveals a creature card. That <laughs> player puts that creature into play. You can't put that creature into play, so it's revealed from the top of your library. Huh. Okay. <laughs> it's a little sight, but then the the bigger, like the more feared card 
Oath has from the sideboard doesn't want to see is Containment Priest. Because yes. then that's exile. Just the same kind of, you know, hate that uh, Sneak and Show has. Mm-hmm. Similar. That's why I looked at that. But the same thing, uh, if someone wanted to go back to the original topic, uh, if they like, they're a D&T player, uh, maybe they would want to look into uh, uh, Shops or White Eldrazi or something to that effect. Most likely Shops, because that has basically taxing effects. Big time. So, so, so shops is considered probably the hands down like tier one deck of, of vintage right now. Is uh, that correct? Sh- yes, uh, shops and mentor. Uh, Jeff's mm-hmm. guy mentor gener- being the those are what I would consider the tier one decks right now. The two tier ones. Uh, Oath I would say is probably tier two. There's probably four or five tier two decks and. And not to say tier two decks can't win, but you know they they are a notch below these two decks. Mm-hmm. That well, we can get into this a little later too, but that's what I've I've heard from a lot of vintage players is that they're burnt out by the Jeskai shops uh, format. That it just feels like those two decks are above and beyond everything else. Oh, they are. Uh, uh, with the and they've been like that for a while. It, it's not, and that was. I'll get a little more detail later because I when I was looking obviously through the questions people had and one was asking about uh, Andy uh, uh, Brassman's question his the real name Andrew Probasco and that relates to the two unless you guys want to get into that subject right now yeah we can we can skip ahead let's let's dive in sure so he had, uh, I forget what the exact question was but it's something to do with, like how you feel about what. Uh, I looked at, finally looked up his question. He made the statement, I have it up here, uh, the history of the format has largely been one tier, one deck, four two-tier decks, and and so X tier three decks. So multiple. And today we have two tier one decks, five tier two decks, and X slash N tier three decks. He said the problem we are facing right now is there's a far greater percentage of players choosing to run the tier one decks than there were before. There's a very, like, when you look at a lot of tournament results, it seems to be either Shops does, wins it, and covers the top, a huge percentage of the top eight, or Mentor. And there's a scattering, other ones, and sometimes other decks win, you know. It's just kind of like at uh, GP, though you said it's not, you guys believe D&T is not the Optimal choice. It's still one, the Grand right. Prix, Las Vegas. Yeah, it so, happens. Things yeah. happen. <laughs> yep. Tier two does not mean bad. It just means notch below. And I've always been. There always has to be a tier one deck. There always will be a best deck, whether that's one or two decks or three decks. But it is a very high percentage of players are playing that. And I'm. And this is something I, I've thought a lot about. I've actually talked a lot with Brassman about it. Well, a lot of it, I wonder how much of it's because of Magic Online. Uh, because, you know, there is a, a decent presence of Magic Online for Vintage. One is way, way, way cheaper. I mean, go figure. Uh, the, the deck that I played earlier, and we talked a little bit about before, the two-card Monte, probably one of the, if not the most expensive Vintage deck, is actually one of the cheaper decks for vintage online yep. dredge oh. being the cheapest yeah actually. we have 
two-card Monty in paper clocking in at just over 21000 And <laughs> while still expensive, very much affordable in comparison, only 492 tickets on Magic Online. Right, that's like the price of a, like of average Legacy deck. Yeah, you could get uh, average or even modern. Like, even some standard decks were getting that expensive. Yeah, especially with the like some of the mana bases in uh, modern especially. Sure. Yeah. So you can and, build you can build a vintage deck reliably online. Definitely. And honestly, a lot of that price for that deck, if you want to even make it cheaper, uh, take out the Containment Priest. There's three in the sideboard, and that's a really expensive card for Magic Online. Oh yeah! Wow, they're like a little over twenty bucks each. Yeah. I mean, you're dropping that down to like four hundred and forty dollars or less. For I mean, you could theoretically put Graph Digger's Cage in there, while not as good. It, a budget consideration until you have some extra cash. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Lotus and all them aren't that expensive, and it has no Force of Wills, so that saves a bunch of money there. Yeah, Black Lotus is actually cheaper than Force of Will on Magic Online. That wasn't the case that long ago. Uh, actually, the Power 9 has gotten a lot cheaper in the last year. This uh, Lotus, when I first started, I think was around eighty to hundred dollars. When I I remember when they first came out, they were going for like three hundred a piece for the Lotuses. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people got bit pretty hard in the ass when they released Power. <laughs> but uh, so so you think with Magic Online, you know these players have the easier access to these tier one decks, and you know it, I, I am a, so what I view it as is almost like a breakdown in the gentleman's agreement. You know, for the longest time, I know the Team Tusk guys are really big on this, that in the eternal formats like Legacy and Vintage, there's almost a gentleman's agreement not to necessarily play the absolute best deck, but to play the deck that you have the most fun with. And, you know, I, I definitely feel that a lot at these local, you know, smaller size tournaments. You know, all, all bets are off when you go to like a GP or something like that. But if you're just playing with the same group of people every week, going to think card shop, there's kind of a gentleman's agreement not to just do the most busted thing for the sake of doing the most busted thing. Right. No, I get that. And the reason I talk like Magic Online is people are seeing it. The the information's available, easily more accessible by everyone. And not to mention when a new card comes out, the format gets solved quicker. Or you know, there's an update to the BNR, things can get solved quicker because everyone can see everyone else's results by it. Because there's dailies and all that are happening. They're testing. Rich Shea's playing. Matthew Murray's playing. Brian Kelly's playing. All these people. So things just seem to move much quicker. And I think that people have started gravitating towards those. <laughs> but so you're there, saying you are, there's some there's some validity in Watsi's claim that publishing deck lists solves formats too quickly. Uh, I don't want to say too quick. That yes and no. Because I, I'm against them not publishing that information, just because even if it does technically, I'm against withholding that information. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, just because something is for the good, you know, for the best, doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, and solved, and and I'm not. There's always new ideas coming out. There's new decks and vintage people trying different things, things I haven't seen because some of those questions we can touch on later, people are asking about specific decks. I'm like, I've never actually played that or I've never even faced that deck, so I'm not that familiar with it. But Matt, but there is kind of like two different metas. It, you can break it. There's a lot more than that, but you can, like paper, 
versus Magic Online's meta too. You, you see that I'm sure, like with Magic Online, I remember you commenting before about all the. You'll see a lot more storm on Magic Online than you will see when you go to your local store. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yep. Uh, you start seeing people play a lot of those decks, but like in our Michigan one uh, or the Michigan area. You, you see two-card Monte. As I said, the last tournament I went to, there's three two-card Montes, one Belcher, uh, a, a smattering of shops. Uh, there was a bug list. Uh, there was some. There was a solemnity list, actually. And then there was some Mentor list, too, and some Dredge. and It, it was a, a lot of... There was a lot more variety there. Than I see when I watch people play on Magic Online, hmm. except for like three two card Montes, because there's really two people there that play that deck regularly: Ben Perry and a guy named Mike. I don't recall his last name. You though, you would think after I rode in his truck for like two hours each direction yesterday. But <clears throat> yeah, so it's hard to say, and it's it's very unique because what do you want out of Magic? Uh, Seriously, you think about it. Are you there to win? Are you there to have fun? Or are you there for both? I mean, if you're there to straight up spike, do you really want to play anything than the tier one decks? Mm-hmm. And how many people show up to a vintage tournament just going, I'm going to spike this vintage tournament so I can walk home with $30 of store credit with my $15,000 deck. <laughs> like, I feel especially with the the sanctioned vintage events where everyone's actually playing with power is invested in the format, I feel those people are the ones who will really, you know, play what they love to play, not play what the best deck is. Yeah. Because, honestly, anything they win is going to pale in comparison to what they've already poured into the game. Yeah. And what, as, as I said, yeah, because our sanction event that we had a week ago, that was for uh, champs. Uh, um, you know, because a, mm-hmm. a local game store can have what they're doing right now. If I don't know if you talked about it on the podcast. I don't recall. Is You can run a tournament, and if the person wins, they get a r- round one, they get a buy. Eternal Weekend, they can run... Oh, they the Eternal Weekend buys? Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. None of our yeah. stores are doing it, which is really disappointing. I think they can run up to two, because that store is going to have a second one, and you can do two Vintage, two Legacy, or a split, depending on what's played at your store, and they're mm-hmm. going to do... I believe... Uh, uh, go figure, the guy who... Because that was what that was for, and we actually had more people show up for the Sanctioned than we did for the Proxy. Oh, there's, really? Yeah, there was like 17 people for Sanction and only 14 that week for uh, the Proxy. But generally, we're a little higher than that. It really just depends on people's schedules. I say it averages more around in the 20s. People show up because it's 100% Proxy. Ben is very big on promoting Vintage and Ben Perry, the one of the two card, one of the two card Monty players. Yeah, he's a librarian of Lang on Twitter. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's yes. a big proponent. He, he loves that deck. Also, a fellow lover of Jepson Malort. Uh, thank you, Ian, for uh, bringing that <laughs> bottle to the last GP and introducing us on the East Coast to Jepson Malort. <laughs> the finest of liqueurs. 
he creates a very as I said yeah he creates a very nice environment very welcome environment it makes it really easy because he just wants to play so it's like you know what I don't care if it's proxies I just want to play he doesn't he brings his real copies every time as I said they're all beta except for the Lotus so you got him flying <laughs> I don't blame them, but at the same time, uh, I'd be hard pressed to do that. I'd be like, I, I'll just proxy and bring this. Because <laughs> if this, that morphs what you're gonna steal some pieces of paper in my deck box. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out twenty bucks versus add a couple of zeros to that, like three <laughs> like, zeros. Like three zeros, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But yeah, there's that. So hmm. nice. it is a. A lot of fun. I really enjoyed playing at that place. Honestly, if it wasn't for RIW, I don't know if I would still be in the vintage as much as I am. Yeah, it's all about just finding a play spot and you know getting with a community that that you like, that you like playing with. You know, that's that's how these these you know communities grow up. Is if you encourage people to show up and you know just have fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree because honestly, some of my best memory of these tournaments aren't actually the tournaments themselves. It's us going out to dinner afterwards. Like, one of the tournaments, all of us but, like, one person from the tournament all went to dinner together. And for, like, an hour, we just uh, talked. We talked about the tournament. We joked around. And that was incredibly valuable and a lot of fun. And, you know, you get closer to each other. And I... That's what brings me to play vintage is the social aspect and the people, and that's what Ben brings to the table. He brings a very good environment with some very skilled players. Because nice. one of them, uh, Kevin Crone, he's been he's tied or is in the lead for most top eights at Vintage Champs. He has three of them, I believe, since the inception. He plays at RIW. He, I actually carpool with him a lot because he's from the west side of michigan too so i ride with him a lot so yeah i mean you're not just getting just people who are just i just play for fun these are you get some actually very highly skilled players there too so i've learned a lot from kevin he's also called me out a lot especially when i played him against dredge (laughs) oh wow because as i said like one of my things i try to do this going off topic here a little bit. I wanted to get better at Vintage in this last year since I played at Champs for the first time. I said every week, or not every week, but every tournament, I'm playing a new deck. So I literally went from Shops to Oath to Dredge, Storm, no, Shops to Storm to Oath to Dredge to Mentor. I ran Mentor back only because it was sanctioned and is really what I could play. That was the closest thing to what I owned at the time. That's why if you look at that list I gave you, I don't have Ruby in there. That's why I played uh, Mana Crypt instead. Then I tried Two Card Monte. And actually, Two Card Monte was the one that won the sanctioned event last week. Well, of course, it has all the combos. All the combos come together to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> So for I don't think we've we've uh, told people you know how exactly two card Monty wins, but uh, it it looks like PH deck because it's basically all one ofs. That that's one thing I always hate about vintage. It's like when I have to write my deck list, 
Yeah, I swear my wrist is 60 individual cards. <laughs> There's so many one-offs because of the restricted list. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> and that was the nice thing. Like The nice thing if you play shops, the the list is a lot shorter because you're not – there's less restricted cards because blue has a lot of restricted draw spells. Ponder's restricted, Brainstorm's restricted, Gush is restricted, uh, Merchant Scroll is restricted. Um, so all those treasure uh, cruise, dig through treasure, time, dig through time, Mystic Tutor restricted, ancestral Re- recall, <laughs> time walk, those, and obviously the mocks and shot plays those too. But you get a lot of four ofs. Also, you get four of Walking Ballista, four of Phyrexian Revoker, things to that effect. Four of uh, Thorn of Amasis, those type of spells. Nice. So so with uh, two-card Monty, so it's got four Painter Servant, so I'm guessing it's a Painted Stone win condition. Yeah. Uh, but so we got one Ancestral Recall, one Demonic Consultation, three Red Elemental Blasts, one vampiric tutor, one demonic tutor, one disenchant. Just a just for that gotcha moment, just blowing up some moxin. Uh, more for hate. Uh, someone having like null rod or uh, stony silence. The deck doesn't win with those two cards out. Gotcha. With either of those cards out, it's really to protect to let the combo go off. So we also got Her- one Hercules recall. Is Hercules recall restricted in vintage? No, it's a four of. Okay. Uh, I guess this deck only runs one. Yeah. yeah um, <clears throat> Storm, a lot of times, will play a lot more Hercules sometimes, depending on the build. Oh, because uh, it can just bounce its own mocks to replay for Storm value? Sometimes. Usually it comes out of the side. You might have, like, one in the main or, like, two to three in the side, depending on the builds. Because you can bounce your own stuff and... Because uh, Storm's biggest enemy in Vintage is Shops. Mm-hmm. So just re- clearing the way. Because of all the taxing effects, just it that kills the decks. So like a Trinisphere turn one is murderous to uh, Storm until they can if they can chain a Vapor it or some or a Hercules Recall to try to go off. Gotcha. Uh, one Time Twister. This is kind of the run to the litter when it comes to the power nine. I feel Time Twister doesn't get any love. The rare, yeah, because uh, in my opinion, Time Twister, it's more in the power nine for nostalgia because it mm-hmm. was to me the actual power nine would be either like Soul Ring or Mistress Workshop, Library of Alexandria, Bazaar of Baghdad, those type of cards it would be more appropriate for that P nine. Right. Spot over Time Twister. Time, don't get me wrong. Time Twister is very, very powerful, but it has to be more built around than the other Power Nine. Because if you're playing Blue, why aren't you playing Recall? There's no really good answer. Right. Just want if you look at Two Card Monte, it, there is one Power Nine. It's not playing. That's Time Walk. Good old Time Walk. I mean, after playing Time Walk in the Holiday Cube, I can confirm Time Walk does not feel as good as you would think it would feel all the time. Uh, it can be very powerful in some a lot of situations. It it's just an exploration, as people may say. Just like take an extra turn. Sometimes you like throw it out there because you're like you're gonna die, so you're just trying to find your something to keep yourself alive. 
But other times, it's incredibly powerful in a mentor deck. Like, if you get five tokens out that don't have haste, you time walk, then you get to start over, and then you boost all those tokens and alpha strike. Mm-hmm. So it's very good in there. Uh, but yeah, Ben Perry said it just doesn't really work for this list. It, okay. He said he had it in there at one time, and he didn't really like it, so he took it out. But yeah, go in here... It has all the rest of the power nine and four missions workshops, which why it makes the deck so expensive. Yes, four missions workshops, uh, Tinker, Black Lotus, Mana Crypt, uh, all the moxes, four grindstones. So that's your your combo win, Painter Servant Grindstone. Uh, but it's got the Tinker and plenty of tutors, so you can also find uh, there's four Helm of Obedience and four Leyline of the Void for a Helm Void win. Which Dredge probably hates this deck, a deck running Leyline of the Void main. Yes, it does. I I actually played Dredge the last round of the tournament, and this was someone. It, it was he played incorrectly. No fault to him. For some reason, and I'm not knocking him. This was his first time playing Vintage, and he tries out pitch what they call pitch Dredge. And one, you're playing Dredge for a first time. Not a good choice from a standpoint like we. We talked about earlier, might have been before the cast. Dredge, I have, after playing Dredge for the first time, I have a lot more respect for the Dredge players and what they have to remember. It's very methodical. It's very easy to miss triggers. But it also got me a lot better at remembering my triggers and to call them out, to say, hey, trigger, 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 that kind of thing. Because I, as I said, I missed more triggers than I remembered. I won matches despite myself because of just the power of the deck. But yeah, this deck, like, when I go back to that, like, I turn zero, ley line in the void. He scoops. He's like, I can't beat this. I'm playing pitch dredge. I'm like, okay, first, you're not, you're new to vintage. I told him this after the match, politely. Like, hey, you know, you shouldn't scoop that quickly. One, if you're new to the format, you really don't probably know what I'm playing. Let me play it out a little bit to at least know how to properly sideboard against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good call. Can't learn if you don't watch. Nope. So, and how to sideboard. And so when he sideboard, of course, I got turn zero again. But what pitch dredge is, just is one that changes its deck away from kind of a dredge, a typical dredge deck, and brings in dark depths and thespian stages and becomes more of a dark depth deck. To try to get around all that hate. Okay. So just full-on 15-card transformational sideboard? Some Close to that, yeah. A good, or at least 10 to 15, something around there. Um, the problem with, I have, just to get off a little tangent on that, the problem with Pitch Dredge, just as a side note, is there's so, because of Mentor there's and Shops, there's so many Swords to Plowshares running around in Vintage. It's the merit lage token is very cl- is going to die a lot, so it's not it can be very weak. Okay. And right. Tinker just on this specific deck, a lot of times we'll get memory jar and obviously your combo pieces. Hmm. And then yeah, you just find one combo piece, and then the rest of the deck just seems to be find the other half. Yes. And this deck, as I said, hates null rod because its wins has to activate an artifact. Right. Oh, yeah. All of its win conditions are an activated ability. Yep. Okay. Unless Painter can get in and chip 
for 20 <laughs> turns. Yeah, I mean, that's that's doable. If you get and two vintage. painters out. Yeah, if you get two painters out. <laughs> actually, oh yeah, that actually reminds me of a question. I feel even more than Legacy, Vintage gets the reputation of being a turn one format. Do you feel that's true? No, not at all. Uh, it's actually very rare that a match ends in turn one. It it, it does happen. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But... And you obviously people get their nut draws where it, while it technically doesn't end on turn one, it kind of does because it's like game over for the other one, but they're hoping to draw that one piece. But I have very rarely ever won on turn one or have been beaten on turn one. Now, there are decks that have increased that percentage. Uh, paradoxical outcome being the case on that. That's a version of Storm. That just draws a ton of cards very quickly and get churns through the deck. Uh, it is a very big misconception because I remember when I, before I knew Vintage, it was that assumption that like whoever wins the die roll wins the match. Mm-hmm. Like then why play? If you might as well just roll die and see who wins. But uh, I I couldn't guess if I had to guess a percentage, I'd say. Five to ten percent of the time, maybe at most. Ten might be on the high side, maybe more around five percent. Okay. If that, that's, yeah. I mean, I would say that's about about as often, or even less often, than it happens in Legacy. Because turn one wins do take place in Legacy, but they're not super common. Yeah. Well, I would say it's higher than Legacy, though. If you're going to say Legacy's five, then I would say Vintage is going to be a little bit higher. Okay, that's than. fair. Because there's it with the you know Black Lotus and all the mocks and it, it's much easier to completely go off. Like I would have actually had a turn one uh, yesterday, but I I pulled a pat. A little, a little punt, you glow. Yeah, I punt just completely punted. I had turn one Helm of Obedience combo with Leyline. I forgot to drop it on turn zero. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to put this into play? No. No, I would not. (laughs) And my opponent was on bug, and I asked him after the matchup, game one, or whatever game it was, I'm like, did you have force of will in your opening hand? He's like, no, I didn't. I'm like, good. that's that's an official punt. It was a punt regardless, but I would at least, I ended up losing the game in two. Uh, I would have taken one of them. You would have had a chance. I still actually was able to cast that card later in the game. It just didn't matter. <laughs> I hard casted it. Nice. Too little, too late. No. Because uh, I'd say legacy are, are legacy players at all familiar with Helm of Obedience. Uh, oh yeah, it's, it's Helm- run in some decks. Yeah, it's okay. Play. Before the established Miracles list existed, Helm of Obedience uh, was in a version of Miracles. Really? Um, like. Yeah, Rip Helm. Uh, I still see some play in blue-white control decks. Um, it is a little bit of ex- a little. It's a little expensive by a legacy standards. Enchantress doesn't that play some occasionally? They'll play it occasionally. Uh, blue-white control will play it. Mono-white stacks will play it with Rest in Peace because with that, if you don't have the Leyline of the Voids, you can do it with Rest in Peace as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Wheel of Sun and Moon if you just want to draw. <laughs> just. Keep putting all the cards on the bottom of their opponent's library infinite times. 
Uh, and, so yeah, Al Helm shows up. Okay, I was curious. I should say retract a little bit on one of my statements. I guess technically Helm could be a win condition on its own if you get enough the ability and get someone's like somehow you steal someone's mentor. Right. Or even even against the Oath of Druids, you know, steal their creature. Uh, I remember seeing players do that. Uh, they were playing Rip Helm. They didn't have the Rest in Peace out, but they had Helm of Obedience. And they're playing against Nikachon. They're like, uh, activate Helm of Obedience for four. Oh, get your Ember Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I, have, I have to ask Ben how often that actually happens. Because um, I had so much fun playing this deck. Honestly, this was probably the most fun I've ever had with a vintage deck. Yesterday, is it just because it's so swingy, like it, it was just Painter is my I I played Painter before at Champs. I, it was a Grexis Painter deck. It wasn't two card Monte. It's built around obviously Painter and Grindstone, but its other win condition was Tinker into Blightsteel. That's one of the other more common Tinker targets, most common. Sometimes Sphinx of the Steel win because the prow with Tinker. If you're facing a lot of deck, I mean a uh, Blightsteel. If you're facing a lot of Dak Fadens, I've seen it happen. You bring out Blightsteel, they play Dak Fadens, steal your Blightsteel. You lose. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. Well, let's try and burn through a couple of these questions. Sure. So let's see here. We got... So Tyler Adams wants to know, do you support the repeal of the reserve lists in order to make Legacy and Vintage more accessible? Uh, yeah, actually, it's an interesting question from Sam Point. One, first off, I'll say, I I would bet money that that list is not going away. I mean, I don't see it ever going away. Could it, theoretically, I guess, but do I support it going away? Yes. While I have spent a ton of money on Vintage, I would rather see more players. I want the format to grow, which is one of the reasons I wanted to come on this podcast was to try to promote vintage a little bit and say it's not the scary beast there's a lot of proxies and proxy tournaments that you can try out and there's a deck for probably most people granted you're not going to go to champs but to be fair at last champs last year one of the powerless decks an colorless eldrazi powerless deck went to champ made a top eight at champs last year for vintage but yeah i i want people to play i want I, I would love to see the format grow, but unfortunately, with the reserve list, that the format can only grow so much in paper. Okay, yeah, I, f- I feel everyone we've kind of had on, no matter their investment uh, in the game, has always been for you know reprinting cards, getting people out there and playing. Yeah, honestly, most vintage players are like that. Obviously, there are some exceptions, but most vintage players want people to play. So. They, there's a lot of actually lending of cards out in Vintage where people borrow cards for power because they want they want people to play so much they they let people they trust borrow some of their cards, mm-hmm. the Power 9, because they might actually have spares because maybe there's someone that's played since 93 or something like that, so they have more <laughs> they than one copy. A, they got a few binders of power. No big deal. <laughs> Uh, so Dominic Dominic wants to know why is Bazaar a six hundred dollar card if it only sees play in Dredge? I think it's nostalgia. I, 
the, I think there's two reasons, right? Like it's it's a four of, which is going to make it more difficult. Isn't it a four of in all the dredge lists? Yeah, yeah that's true. And, and it's from Arabian Nights, which is like a a, a lower print run than other sets. Mm-hmm. But again, it's only in Arabian Nights. It's not like it has reprints in Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, Revised kind of thing. Yeah, I think you also you definitely nailed the head on the wow. <laughs> Got the head of the nail. What's what's the idiom, Pat? Don't don't worry about it, Jerry. Just keep right. with it. You're doing great. All right, cool. Na- nail the head on the <laughs> point. Then the is, head of the uh, yeah, on the donkey is uh, four four copies. You know. Power, Mox, Lotus, Ancestral, they're all expensive, but you only need one. Right. If you're playing Bazaar, you need four, which I think is why Workshops is uh, like an $800,000 card by itself, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's about, a, it's about a, somewhere between 700 to 1000 depending where you get it. The cheaper places usually being the Facebook high-end groups. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, just so on a side note, it actually doesn't only just see play in Dredge. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you might see it as a one-of in certain shop builds. Not often, but they do happen. I heard, I believe Ben Perry the has tried it out in two-card Monte. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you dr- you're still drawing two cards. And if you have something like, maybe you have that and you have Goblin Welder. So you're bending some cards and you can Goblin Welder, sacrifice, say, a Mox and bring out your win condition. Gotcha. Theoretically. So there is, uh, there are corner cases of it being played, but it's the same thing as like, why is Tabernacle so expensive? That's a one-off. You don't... Yeah. I know. Tabernacle is actually now more expensive than Mock Sapphire. I was pleased to learn at FNM this week. <laughs> <laughs> I made the right choice. It is. And why is Moat so expensive, Jerry? Because <laughs> I bought them all. <laughs> uh, quick aside, quick aside. A uh, question I've heard from uh, from vintage players: If you have multiple mocks, how do you refer to them? Do you call them moxen? That's what I like to use them. Like. That was a leading question, psychologist Pat. Jesus oh, I Christ! Think, I don't think. Where did you get proper. your PhD? <laughs> do you think it's terrible that these horrible people are doing this thing? <laughs> well, yes. I still think. think they should be called moxes, but that's just me. Moxes, moxen. Uh, either way, it's fine. Oh, Jerry, just so you know, (laughs) Jerry, just so you know, if you really want to play Moat, there is a vintage deck that plays it on a regular basis. Don't encourage Jerry to be more degenerate in his purchases than he already is. (laughs) That's bad. Land still. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm sold. I'm sold. It's happening. (laughs) Getting into vintage. <laughs> Landstill, by the way, doesn't generally all play the whole thing of Moxes. It, like if you play white blue, it generally just plays Pearl and Sapphire. Alright. Because it I'd plays a lot it. of I can do it, that. But it also plays Recall, Black Lotus, Time Walk. Yeah, and not so much. <laughs> uh Ian wants to know what decks port best from other formats and is that a good idea? Well, I mean we've already covered Dredge, but anything else El- port Eldrazi is very close. Oh right? yeah. Eldrazi is very uh the the colorless Eldrazi is very close. I almost built and, the vintage Eldrazi deck when I was still playing colorless Eldrazi. Well, oh, put it this way: at Champs last year, uh, when I let my friend, because I, I came with a friend, as I mentioned before, we got in here, he never played vintage. I built the legacy, I mean, the vintage Eldrazi deck. The next morning, I grabbed all the other cards and I rebuilt it into the legacy and went to the legacy Champs. 
with no idea about that, that's before I knew anything really too much about the legacy metagame. Mm-hmm. Man, did I punch <laughs> it. I played Loam and of course I got I was on the play, turn one, chalice on one. That didn't matter. And uh they had and I got Thought Not Seer out. They had Liliana the Veil and Knight of the Reliquary. I chose Liliana. Mm-hmm. I, Clearly, that was a mistake because, yeah, I would have lost uh, Thought Not Seer, but I had other cards. But with Knight of the Reliquary, I was able to Dark Depths me. Gotcha. So, that that's, but yeah, I would say I poured, but sorry, I maybe shouldn't went off that tangent, but. That's all good. Uh, um, but yeah, that ported that easy. I mean, I had to bring in a couple cards that aren't. Or take out some cards or put some cards in. Like I had to bring in three Chalice of Void since that's restricted and vintage. You only allowed one copy. Is that's uh, other decks I've heard of people doing is Delver or Mentor variations without power, Landstill without power, because Landstill in a nutshell is obviously is a very much a control deck with standstill. It plays wastelands. Crucible of Worlds, and all that stuff isn't restricted, and isn't power. I mean, it yeah, it runs Moat being... That'd be its probably most expensive card I'd recommend if you're playing Powerless. Yeah, you lose the fast turn one kind of games, but you can theoretically play that, but Eldrazi is probably the closest one. Ooh, okay. Uh, so Rob wants to know, uh, I'm also going to be, I'm going to skip over the ones we've already covered. Um, so with all the Buster Blue spells in Vintage that are restricted, what's the best draw spell after Ancestral Recall? I would say Gush. Gush? Better than Brainstorm? Yes. All right. Gush Gush is pretty good. I've been playing with it in Popper. It's pretty sweet. Oh, yeah? Uh, So you can lend all your expertise, Pat? How good is Gush? It's pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good? (laughs) On a scale of one to pretty good, where is it? Uh, on scale of one to what? On the scale of one to pretty good, oh, where is it? Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, <laughs> and that isn't like always the case. There may be some make arguments. I didn't play vintage when brainstorm was unrestricted, so maybe I'm wrong on that. But I've seen the power of gush in the last year before they restricted it again. It's third restriction. They've unrestricted it twice, and then had a, they went back and restricted it again on multiple occasions. You you think about Mentor. It's a three drop. Mentor. What it did before with Gush, it played a lot of didn't play a lot of lands. It played fourteen, fifteen lands somewhere around there. And with that low land count, you could have two. Like on turn three, you already had two islands out. Maybe one of them, say one is the Tundra, for the sake. You return both of them in your hand, you draw two cards, you drop one of them back down, you tap that, now you've got your third land. You, no, now you can play Mentor, and you got two extra cards. And yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't come with a caveat of them being untapped islands, you know, so you can tap them for mana before even sending them back to your hand, which is very yep. powerful. And it can protect your lands on a desperation. But it also has the corner case of being very good with Library of Alexandria because then you can get your hand back up to seven pretty easily with Gush. And also very good with uh, uh, Dak Faden because maybe you don't need, you have excessive lands. So you Gush play, plus 
Dak Faden, discard those two lands, and now your hand's refilled. Obviously, Brainstorm is incredibly powerful, and it's restricted for a reason in Vintage. I would just, mm-hmm. And maybe people who played there during that format, during that time, would argue against me. But I'm just looking at it from that onset. You're getting... You're actually getting card advantage with Gush, unlike Brainstorm. You're getting what virtual versus, or I've also heard it coined, uh, card velocity. You're getting through your library, mm-hmm. but you're right. not getting true advantage with Brainstorm. Whereas Gush, you're you're just filling your hand up. You know, I think like you said, with comboed with something like Dak Faden is where it really shines, and you can just ditch those islands for something else. Yep. Fast, it helps fill for your delve spells because, uh, <laughs> surprisingly enough, uh, treasure crews and dig through time are pretty good in vintage. Yeah. So well, I guess maybe treasure crews could make some argument or dig through times to be number one, I right. have to recall. So Nick Bliss wants to know what do you think of Solemnity in vintage? Is it seeing play? Uh,. At our store, it is. By uh, it got fourth place last week. I believe, or third or fourth place by uh, Kevin Crone. He built a list, and he got second place this week. Uh, it's one with dark depths. It plays uh, that one, uh, the one that allows you draw when someone plays a spell. I, I just draw blanking on the name. Draw one whenever you. It's Rhystic one... studies. No, 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 no. Uh, they have to pay for something. They draw a card. Uh, it's a one enchantment. I'm looking yeah. at. I have four copies in my binder here somewhere. I, I'm bad with it. Mystic Remora. Oh, okay. So it has like four Mystic. Oh, Remora. yeah, because you don't have the uh, cumulative upkeep. Yep. So that becomes incredibly powerful. It, he played four Dark Depths with Solemnity. But he also put, like, I think it was three mentors also, because he's like, if you're playing white and blue, I can't make a good argument not to play mentor. Because right. there was that powerful. I mean, it's powerful in Legacy, but with Moxes, it just goes to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Power. So, yeah. So it's seeing some play, and I believe some people, other people have been trying it. It doesn't appear to be like a tier one strategy, but it's not terrible. It's right. it's still decent. It seems like it's pretty decent. Okay. Uh, Rob currently wants to know, if you were to proxy up any two decks to play with someone that has never played Vintage before, what would those two decks be? Uh, one, I would say Mentor, because uh, not because it's the most powerful, but the style of play, I think, would lend itself, because it plays, you know, because it's a lot of draw spells, counter spells, make a bunch of creatures off tokens. The other one, and these, because I'm, are we assuming I don't know these people? I'm just, sure. Okay, because generally if I know the people, I'd ask them what type of style. Uh, mentor, what would be a good second deck? I wouldn't want to say shops because shops preys on mentor decks pretty hand pretty well. I mean, it, or can uh, maybe oath from the standpoint that does a pretty big 
vintage thing. It's something unique to vintage. May uh, I wouldn't say storm because you know Legacy does storm also, and in some ways, I mean, he gets to play for LED for stronger in some ways in Legacy because you know, has four LEDs because that's restricted also in vintage. Maybe oath. Uh, may even though I uh, oath. I, I'll just go with Mentor and Oath right now, because I don't, unless, I mean, Shops could be a decent one. I would not recommend Dredge. I would not recommend Two Card Monte as a, uh, maybe, even though it's not that popular right now, like Grixis Thieves. I I have a soft spot for Grixis decks. Grixis Thieves is sweet. Sweet in Legacy, can be sweet in Vintage. <laughs> Well, think Time Twister with Notion Thief. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> that's gross. Or Notion Thief with Dak Faden. Obviously, mm-hmm. you can do that Legacy too, but that I mean that's gross and depressing when you're on the other side of it too. <laughs> I've been on the other side. Boom. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Because I'd be like. Well, one is very strong deck, but the other one gets to do vintage things. Because I'd want one of the decks to be able to do kind of that vintage, like stuff that you don't, you can't really do in other formats, like Tinker into a Blight Steel, uh, Time Vault Key type stuff, uh, Time Twist, Notion Thief into a Time Twister to draw 14 cards and your opponent gets none. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh,. We are just about out of time, but were there any questions? I know you you had some on uh, that you had your eye on, Mark. Were there any questions that you wanted to answer that people posed on the group? There was something about sneaking show. It wasn't vintage specific. Oh, uh, Adam's question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Adam wants to know: Is there a super easy vintage deck to play that everyone rightfully makes fun of for being too easy? Like, are you all making fun of, say, Oath players for playing by far the simplest deck in the format? Please refer to this deck as the Sneak and Show of Vintage. <laughs> and assuming you're on Skype, please make eye contact with Jerry when you bring this up. Adam, I'm going to have strong words with you when I see you at the event. <laughs> see, me and Adam are friends. We know each other, so he, he he's doing some playful ribbing. Oh. But I'm going to flatten your tires next time I see you, Adam. So you're going to have a long ride back to Maine. <laughs> and, just so you, and just so you know, Adam, I've been building Sneak and Show. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I also like Nathan likes to jump in there. Make sure you not only attack the deck, but the people who play it too. <laughs> oh, that's uh, something that bothers me big time. <laughs> so you can hate a deck. Don't hate. Don't hate on someone for liking a deck. So I, I think we kind of already covered that a bit. That uh, you know, sneak and show uh, and oath of druids. If you kind of like that big timmy but also spiky i want to win but i want to win by doing big awesome things uh with the druids is kind of the way to go yes yes very much so that is a great because of grizzle brand is awesome even in vintage as i like to say i've said this to numerous people already today have you accepted our lord and savior grizzle brand into your heart <laughs> i do have four times a day even non-magic players <laughs> Yeah, my boss keeps looking at me really weird. <laughs> He's just like saying his pair, saying, pay seven, draw seven, pay seven, draw seven. 
just like we're saying think, the rosary at his yeah, desk. Yeah, like I have a ro- rosary beads, page seven, page seven dress. Uh, now I feel like there's an epic uh, Magic the Gathering Exorcist spoof crossover in the works. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, any any other questions you uh, that caught your eye, Mark? No. Uh, I, someone asked about five color humans. I'm I've never played that deck. I've never played against it, so I don't have really much to say. I mean, I guess that depends on your meta. Because someone says, "What's your feelings on five color humans?" Uh, uh, if maybe in your meta it's good. I have never seen it played in paper. I've never played against it, so I can't speak much on that. I agree with Andrew Campbell against what Drew asked. Yeah, it, with the restriction of Gush, uh, Gush Bond, Pyro Grow are pretty much dead decks because Gush is very much needed in, in a Gush Bond deck. The name kind of gives it away. Uh, just, you know, Fast Bond, yep. play multiple lands a turn. Gush, put both hand, bring them both back down for a couple life. Uh, really, really get that advantage out of Gush. Oh yeah, it's very good. It's just it wasn't even before the gush restriction. It wasn't that popular of a deck, at least especially on Magic Online. Uh, maybe in some local metas that I'm not familiar with. It, but it wasn't in the Michigan area at all. I've never saw it played over there. All right. Uh, any others? No, I think that covers it. All right. Cool. Uh, Pat, you got anything else? Uh, no, that's, that's, yeah, no, I'm good. We can get into scoops. Scoops? Mark, uh, you got, you got some scoops? Yeah, I got a couple people. Uh, for, uh, I'd like to scoop in Ben Perry for the awesome tournaments he ran the last two weeks. He's, has kept me into vintage when I was kind of in a bad spot a few times when I had to sell my cards and he, Really helped me out. Same with Kevin Crone. He helped me yesterday because I decided to leave my wallet in my car while I carpooled with him. <laughs> he helped me out so I could play in the event. Uh, and this is completely off magic. I'd scoop in my friend Ryan Tabor because he's getting married this weekend. I'm going to be in the wedding. So, nice. And there's many other people I would, but... I don't want to keep you guys here all night. <laughs> it's like it's like the Oscars. the The band starts to play. <laughs> they get that little uh, what's that? A uh, little hook and pull you off stage. Like, get out of here. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, what about you, Pat? We got, uh, we, got I, we got some news combined with this scoop. I do. Yeah. So <clears throat> we will go over the uh, the classic uh, in Atlanta next week. Um, but our friend and uh, former podcasting co-host Zach Cook uh, took down the classic playing Infect. Surprise, surprise! Uh, so I just wanted to say a big shout out to uh, Zach. Very nice job taking it down. I know he said he's been very, very close many times, and it's awesome to see him take down a classic. I don't know if that's his first classic win, but uh, that's great, great for him. Great news. Um, also, uh, Team Tusk, uh, t- uh, Team Tusk uh, uh, members. Evan Nyquist, uh, who top aided, and also Josh Hand, top sixteen as well, playing Stephen oh, Show. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of <laughs> hypocrite of the year, Josh Hand. Josh is always giving me shit for Sneakin' Show, and what do you do, Josh? What do you do? You, I, if you, you if hold you your tongue. 
If you check out his Facebook page, he made his Facebook profile. Someone just memed up a picture of him wearing four brainstorms as a necklace. So you should check that out, Jerry. It's 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 quite good. It's quite oh, I've good. seen. Oh my God, Josh, you drive me crazy. <laughs> so congrats, congrats to all those guys. Um, it must have been an awesome event. I heard the attendance was great. So uh, mm-hmm. nice and all of them for for making the uh the, taking the win down, taking a top eight and a top sixteen respectively. Yeah, and also just a sample for from next week. Uh, Justin Parnell, who's usually famous for his crazy uh, EDH decks on Star City Games, came in second place with a modern deck, <laughs> <laughs> playing Bug Death Shadow. Yes. Um, he is running two Underground Sea, one Tropical Islands, but other than that, it's very much a uh, <laughs> uh, you know the modern modern inspiration. Nice. Uh, so it just goes to show you can you can port modern decks over and it, it works. Can be done. So. Yeah, we can talk about that next week. Absolutely. Uh, I'm excited for that. How about you, Jerry? Who do you have to scoop in this week? Uh, well, I'm going to dream crush Josh because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear any more shit out of him. I <laughs> uh, also want to scoop in Evan. I got to meet Evan at uh, you know several GPs over there. He's a great guy. Uh, Zach, too, for taking it down. Uh I want to scoop in my friend Chris Chobar, who just got married this past weekend. I, you know, went to his wedding and it was 110 degrees, and I wore a three-piece suit and died. <laughs> We're talking to Jerry's ghost. Yeah, yeah, this is my ghost. I actually pre-recorded this episode. Uh, it's a lot of pauses, ums, and yeps. <laughs> that way you can just you can just filter it in. Perfect, perfect. So congrats to uh, congrats to Chris for tying the knot. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, All right. So, Mark, if uh, someone wants to get a hold of you, do you do, you do Twitter? Do you do? Fa- I know you're on Facebook. Yeah, I do Twitter. I think it, it's Mox Painter because okay. I, I'm terrible with names, and I was at the time playing Painter. I'm like, I play vintage, so Mox Painter sounds good. Nice. People might think you alter Power Nine. Sorry. People may think you alter power wow. cards. Wow! Did you make a just make a magic dad joke? <laughs> oh, no, God! I didn't even get that one completely over my head. People, hey Pat! Hey Pat! Yeah. Why do Norwegian boats have barcodes on the side? Ooh, why? So when they dock, they can Scandinavian. <laughs> that, oh. that's amazing! <laughs> the slow roll ra- laugh made that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. I'm not even upset. That's great. Uh, we rolling some die. Yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, you, you didn't say my Twitter handle though. I'm not allowed to say it anymore. You oh right, to, yeah. So you have to say it. <laughs> you can find me at Pat Uglo on Twitter. You can find the uh, the stream twitch.tv slash Pat uh, You can search for Leaving Legacy on Facebook and find us there. You can find Jerry on Twitter at jme3rd, and you can email the show. Uh, what is it, Jerry? I, I can't remember it anymore. Uh, I'll what? put it in the notes if you want to email the show. <laughs> Leaving? If yeah, you want clearly, to email the show, I'll put it in the clearly notes. Clearly we check this inbox ever so often. Just messages. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just post it up on the Facebook wall, people. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm failing at my job because I'm just constantly checking the Facebook posts. <laughs> Leaving a legacy at hipstersofthecoast.com. There you go. Oh, yeah, the new one. I thought yes. you were talking about, like, the old Gmail no, one. No, 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 no. No, the new Nobody one. email leavingalegacy at gmail.com. Right. It will not be read. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number four. Oh, good. That's not too many they count. Uh, Corey Kozlowski, the urban spaceman, the Bonzo Dog Band. That doesn't sound like a real song. 
<laughs> I don't know if like people are actually choosing these songs because they genuinely enjoy these songs. I think they're just trying they're just... to find the most obscure songs they can, but, they can find. But some of them were like last week's. I listened to last week's and it was a song I had never heard before and it was damn good. I enjoyed it. I didn't listen to it. <laughs> you freaking edited it. <laughs> I know, I just didn't listen to it. <sighs> I put a song in my, somewhere at one point and I'm like, it's actually a song I like. Yeah, see? People like these songs. These Which are quality songs. Don't be uh, so dismissive, Pat. Uh, Electric Worry by Clutch. Oh, uh, okay. See? I've never heard of that song. <laughs> um, the mean? Urban Spaceman, the Bonzo Dog Band. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a, uh, uh, what's his name? David Bowie song. <laughs> David Bowie. I see someone look for DuckTales theme song. Oh man, DuckTales theme song. I can't wait for that one to win. I love that. <laughs> I so do I. I loved that show growing up. It was one of my favorites. <laughs> Alright, Pat, play us out with something sweet. Okay. I'm the urban spaceman, baby. I've got speed. I-